Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the California Dream. California Dreaming on such a winter's day. Edition as we begin to look ahead to Super Bowl 56 in Los Angeles. Coming up, my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to discuss a wide variety of topics, including if they were to make a movie about this remarkable Bengals season, who plays Lap? We'll also hear from his road roommate back in the day, the first quarterback to lead the Bengals to the Super Bowl, Ken Anderson. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll catch up with Joe Reedy, who used to cover the Bengals for the Inquirer and now covers LA sports teams for the Associated Press. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. Visit onlocationexp.com for exclusive access to the biggest events, including next week's Super Bowl. Here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since kind text messages. Moments after Evan McPherson's game-winning field goal last week that sent the Bengals to the Super Bowl, the text messages began pouring in from friends and family all over the country saying how happy they were that I would get a chance to broadcast a Super Bowl. I can only imagine what it was like for the players and coaches. It was really nice to hear from so many friends, including some that I hadn't heard from in years, and it was a great reminder that if something special or difficult happens to somebody you care about, take a moment to reach out. They'll really appreciate it. Now, let's get to my guests, beginning with Dave Lapham. Lapp, it's Wednesday. We've had a few days to think about it. Does it seem real at this point to you? <laughs> it's it's starting to get that way. It really is. Uh, when you when you look back on it, though, it's it's um, it's an amazing accomplishment. It really is. I mean, I think when you go on the road in the playoffs and you beat the number one and number two seed, that's that's getting it done. No doubt about it. I mean, I I don't want to diminish, you know, the successes of uh, the team I played on, the team in '88, '89, the '81 team, you know. We were the number one seed in 81-82, same as 88-89. And you have home field advantage. You take full advantage of that. Freeze a bowl involved in there in the 81-82 situation. So, I mean, I, I just think for, the, for them to make it to the Super Bowl, the road they had to travel, it's quite remarkable. I mean, I think it's, it's as, good a, as good an accomplishment by any team in franchise history. I really do. Excellent points that I hadn't thought of. So I'm on cloud nine. We all are. But I have found one thing mildly annoying over the past few days, and that is the national angle on the game on Sunday that the Chiefs blew it. It's been more of a what went wrong with Mahomes. Andy Reid made a terrible decision in the second quarter, which he did. But not enough credit is going to the Bengals and the Bengals defense in particular, in my opinion. Couldn't agree more. You know, I think... um I think people were so shocked by the outcome. You know, I, I think, I don't know what kind of a percentage of the population thought the Chiefs were going to win the game, but I'll guarantee it was a big percentage. And when they didn't, normally it's, okay, well, the favorite blew it instead of the underdog winning it, you know. Um, it's just kind of human nature, I guess. It's like, you were supposed to win. Why didn't you win? Well, here's the reasons you didn't win. 
why did you do that? Instead of, you know, I, to me, uh, you know, Andy Reid's decision obviously was, was, was not good. Um, but it still boils down to the fact that in one-on-one, in space, Apple had to tackle Tyreek Hill. If he doesn't, it's all a moot point. If he doesn't make the play, um, it, you know, the whole thing is, is meaningless. Um, and, and then in the, in the second half, I thought there were tremendous adjustments. I mean, Lou Anarumo and the defensive staff, I think Anarumo outcoached Spagnola, and I think that uh, Zach outcoached Andy Reid in this football game. I mean, bottom line. And still, like Lou Anarumo said uh, when, when he was, did his press conference you know, a couple of days after the game, the players still have to execute. So you can, you can put them in position to succeed, but they still have to step up and get it done and, and succeed. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, Patrick Mahomes looked totally befuddled. I mean, he didn't know what he was looking at. He was holding on to that football and had no idea where to go with that football. And, and I think, you know, that old saying, apply the pressure or feel the pressure, he did not want to make a mistake that was going to lose a close football game. And the, and the closer the Bengals got, the more he held the football. He did not want to turn the football over. And, I, you know, I mean, that's a metamorphosis, I guess, a little bit of Mahomes. He's been a gunslinger. Well, he wasn't slinging any gun in the second half of that football game. He, it, was a, it was a pea shooter, and he had it holstered, man. There was nothing going on there. So I, I give all the credit to the Bengals, obviously. It's always a combination. It's always one team does things they need to do and other teams don't. I mean, it's are you going to make plays or not? And Bengals had players make plays, and some of the players that made plays, it's like, hmm, didn't expect that guy to make a play. Your ability to analyze the game in real time is second to none, but you're like a coach or a player in the sense that then you go back and watch the video and you pick out nuances that maybe you didn't see initially. What really stood out, particularly when you watch the defense shutting down the Chiefs on seven possessions without a touchdown in the second half? The, uh, the versatility of some of the defensive players. I mean, they had Sam Hubbard doing a lot, of, a lot of things, a lot of things he's capable of. I mean, here's a kid that was a safety at Moeller, Kept growing, goes linebacker. <clears throat> Kept growing, getting stronger, goes to defensive line. So he's got athleticism, and they were utilizing him really, really well. I mean, they had him, um, you know, playing his defensive end spot and, and, and pressuring. But then they also, one time they had him in the slot working and jamming a receiver and then and then dropping back to the middle linebacker position where we've seen him blitz. We've seen Wilson and, and uh, Sam Hubbard transpose positions. And sometimes Hubbard will blitz, sometimes he won't. Um, so they had Wilson up at the line of scrimmage. They had Hubbard at the, at, the, at the linebacker spot, and he was spying. You know, he was a spy that was designated. They had Wilson designated as a spy. I'm looking back at the tape on Mahomes. So they had, they had a really, really good plan. They would only rush three, but then the fourth rusher would be the spy. They'd time it up perfectly. You know, when can I pressure? I'm coming downhill. I'm coming after him now. And then Mahomes has to worry about not just what he's confused about down the football. I got I to gotta make this guy miss. It's a pretty good athlete. He's moving in space. He's a big guy moving in space about as well as I'm moving in space. So, I mean, how about Sam Hubbard getting back-to-back sacks uh, on two consecutive plays? And I mean, you look at it, he's got three sacks now in three games in the playoffs, and Hendrickson continues to be, you know, a big factor. He's got two and a half. The interception um, that uh, that Von Bell had, Jesse Bates and Von Bell made a great play, 
but they had he, Lou had Trey Hendrickson dropping off a zone blitz. He dropped off into a, a, a short zone and just totally disrupted where Mahomes wanted to go with the football. So then he tried to force it to a place he really didn't want to. And they he, they did a lot of zone blitzing stuff. It was almost like um, you know, it was so so complimentary of variables game plan where he had guys at the line of scrimmage and which ones are coming, which ones aren't. Lou, Lou did a lot of that. He was bringing guys and dropping guys that the Kansas City Chiefs weren't anticipating. It was an unbelievably well-orchestrated performance in the second half. And, uh, man, it's like, you know, whoever whoever wrote the ballet and then Barishnikov, you know, uh, went out and executed it. It was, it was that kind of thing with, with, with the way that second half unfolded. The Bengals Booth Podcast, the only podcast where you'll get a Barishnikov <laughs> reference courtesy of Dave Lapham. You know, it's it's great that rushing three and dropping eight worked out, but when you do that, a lot of times Mahomes is going to have forever, and there were several instances where it was four seconds, five seconds, six seconds. So for it to work, even though you got the numbers in the secondary, they've still got to be able to cover guys forever. Absolutely. they got a plaster. And I think it started, you know, the whole thing in the second half when, when Lou saw how well guys took away every option from Mahomes, on that second and one from the one-yard line, I mean, Cheeto just jammed and, and, and just plastered his receiver. There was nowhere to go. And I think, you know, I think that triggered, all right, well, we were aggressive on that play. All, all, all uh, half long, we were kind of on our heels. We, were, we weren't punching. We were counter-punching. We were letting them take it to us. Let's reverse this a little bit. And that's kind of what they did on that second and one play from the five-yard line with five seconds to go. It's like, all right, well, if you're going for it, we're, we're, we're getting after you, and we're, we're going to make you get the ball out. And, and, and I think that kind of, when it worked, gave momentum going into halftime. It's like, let's bring it all out. Let's, let's get as aggressive as we can be. And, uh, but with that said, when you are when aggressive in, in what you're doing differently, empty the bucket that way. Like, let's not leave anything. What do we why, – why are we – we have all these schemes. What are we, what are we going to do with them? If we lose this football game, we'll take them to training camp next year. It's not going to do us any good. So they started implementing a lot of things, and and I agree with you. They definitely had the numbers in their favor, but they got decent pressure sometimes out of that three-man, and then the fourth guy would come, you know, a little late and and cause problems. Um, But, man, the way guys plastered in that second half, the the coverage was extraordinary. And then when they, you know, they were real good uh, leveraging with the double teams, they bracketed guys effectively. I mean, it was just, you're right. I mean, when, when when the front end is you only got three or four going the back end has to step up and the back end stepped up boy and uh the sacks they got were coverage sacks period no question about it so in an afc championship game they rotated right guards which i'm not sure if that's happened in 20 30 40 50 years whatever it might have been Hakeem Adeniji and Jackson Carmen both played. How did they do? And do you think that's the way to go in Super Bowl Fifty Six? I wouldn't be surprised if they if they stay with that, um, because Carmen showed that you know he belongs. He he made some plays. Both guys did some good things. Both guys did some things where, gosh, at this stage of the season, you wish that wasn't the case. Uh, but competition always breeds excellence. So. And, not, and I'm not saying that Akeem Adeniji said, I've arrived. And I don't have to worry about my job anymore. You know, I've got it. I'm going to play this position for 12 years, you know. I'm not saying that he took that approach whatsoever. 
what happened, he, he opened the door a crack because Simmons gave him a tough way to go in that Tennessee game. And, and he had, had some issues. He had had some really bad blow-up plays in terms of physical dominance, you know, down the stretch toward the end of the season. And, and Carmen is a, is a bigger, you know, more physical, naturally physical guy. So, you know, one, one obviously is further along mentally than the other. Um, but the other one has maybe more physical gifts. So if you could combine both of them, you'd have a hell of a player probably. But I think I think they are probably going to play both of them. I think they both have shown that they are capable and probably worthy of playing in the Super Bowl. Um, and, and then I guess if you if you get a hot hand, if one really starts playing well, the one thing you hate to have happen though when you're playing guys like that is guy makes one mistake and he's looking over his shoulder. Oh, is he gonna, am, I, am I done? Am I done for the game? Oh, man, I wish I didn't do that, you know. Um, that, that's, that's the only downside to it. But if, if the level of play for both players has elevated because Frank said, you know what, nobody's got this right guard position. Show me what you got. I, you know, it, it could, could turn out to be a brilliant move, but it would not surprise me whatsoever if all of a sudden, instead of, like Aaron Donald can rush from both both right and left defensive tackle. But I would not be surprised if in the Super Bowl, he's doing a lot more rushing from left defensive tackle than he is from right defensive tackle because of the issues going on at that rotation at the right guard spot. It wouldn't shock me at all. Is Bengals offensive line versus Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and the rest of the Rams defensive line the obvious key matchup of this Super Bowl? I think it is. I mean, I think... You know, we're looking at when, when uh, going to Tennessee to play the Titans, they had three pass rushers. Well, these guys in the regular season, Donald went for 12 and a half sacks, Floyd for nine and a half, and uh, Miller for nine and a half. Floyd being a linebacker, they, they used to rush the passer pretty well. And uh, in, the, uh, in the playoffs, Miller's got a couple of sacks, and, and Donald has a sack and a half. So they're continuing to, to show that they're going to be able to pressure the quarterback. So I, I think... I think they've got three solid pass rushers. And when you have three, and the other, the other reason that I would put Aaron Donald over the right guard as opposed to the left guard, when you slide the line, you can put three blockers on two guys if they're both in the same side of the line of scrimmage. Slide, protection, and you have an extra guy. When they're on opposite sides, you can't slide, protect it. You know, you still, if you slide to one side, the right guard who's struggling potentially is working against Aaron Donald one-on-one with no center. He's sliding, huh? So, you know that that could that could be a little bit of a of a factor too. So having having three guys, you know, if you need to, go seven man protection. Five, uh, put five linemen in there and, and a tight end and a running back. And if you need to put in a big body tight end, if Adenogy's in the game, put uh, Carmen out there as the as the extra lineman, and uh, and vice versa. You get guys that are in the flow of the game playing. I mean, that that might not be a bad a bad remedy. The, the guard that's out on, the, on that particular series, if you need to throw him on a third and long situation, throw him in there at the tight end position to be an extra pass protector and keep a back end to, to uh, help on the other side, so be it. I mean, just give Joe Burrow time. And, and then in that case, somebody has to win a route. I mean, there's going to be guys that are going to be double teamed, but somebody is going to have a one-on-one situation, and, and they got to win that uh, win that matchup for sure. 
We've spent a lot of time talking about Joe Burrow over the last couple of years. This was his greatest moment yet, guiding this team to a Super Bowl in his second year as the quarterback. At this point, is there something that just stands out more than anything else about what this guy's accomplished? Boy, I'll tell you, you know, it, I, I think I think it's obviously his mental capacity for the game is, is one thing. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I think it's second to none. I think the amount of information that he can digest, retain, and regurgitate, you know, accurately is incredible. And, and his ability to take it all in and, and uh, hold on to it, process it, something shows up in a game, he can sort through and hit exactly what he needs to, to respond and answer that particular problem that they're trying to cause him. It, it's incredible to watch. I, he's got a computer-like brain. For the game of football, and he can—he's got a lot of megabytes in there. There's no question about it. And um, that, and then, you know, as a former lineman, I, I just am, am inspired by his toughness. I mean, he just—the guy doesn't flinch. The guy never, you know, gets after his teammates for getting beaten. I mean, he knows it's part of football. He's just—he's he, a football player. The guy plays quarterback with the linebackers mentality and he's brought up in a defensive household his dad was a coordinator and a lot of skins on the walls a defensive coordinator two brothers played linebacker at at, uh, at a high level at nebraska i mean he he said to urban meyer let me cover kickoffs if you're not gonna let me play quarterback let me play some football the dude is a football player you know he's not he's not a just a quarterback that you know oh, don't hit me don't hit me. he he likes to mix it up i mean he likes football he's he's uh i'm not saying that you know, he welcomes and thrives on contact, but didn't shy away from it. I'll tell you that, he's a he's a tough guy, man. And um, you know, he, I, I think I think that inspires offense, defense, especially that inspires everybody. Your quarterback is uh, is playing like that and playing at that level, and and a playmaker like he is, special with a big old capital S, man. We're having this conversation on Wednesday, a week and a half before the Super Bowl. The Bengals did not practice today. They'll get back out there tomorrow we've got nasty weather coming into cincinnati they are going to be practicing in the practice bubble at uc for the next several days it's nice that uh, that option is there and they're always free to take advantage of it my question is with the practices they have now between now and the super bowl you'll have some practices here you'll have some practices in los angeles is there a time period for these practices that you consider to be the most important or is it all equally important I will say that the Super Bowl that I played in, Super Bowl 16, we had the Freezer Bowl, and the week after the Freezer Bowl was brutally cold as well. And we didn't have any bubble or anything like that to go into, and we didn't get much done that week of practice. And I think it hurt us. I really do. Um, you know, we, we went out there uh, before the game itself uh, and had practices, you know, in, in a dome where we could actually, you know, get, get something done. But it was hard getting things done the way you wanted to get them done in that in that weather in Cincinnati that week. So I think the fact that they have a bubble and UC's being gracious enough to let them use that is going to be huge for them. And they'll get uh, you know they get some things done. The one thing you don't want to do necessarily is put your game plan out there too you know real early and then say oh. Maybe we can adjust this. Oh, in the red zone, why don't we do that? And then just start to overthink it, overthink it. Um, I, I personally would, and, and we did this, don't don't pre- make it a normal week. 
present the game plan at the early stages of the second week and go through that process. Right now, be working on things that you might think about incorporating into the game plan. Uh, stay sharp with the core uh, plays and the and the uh, philosophical uh, configuration of those plays that you like. And then, like we've been talking about here down the stretch of the season, how are you going to make them look different? As the great one said, Paul Brown said, make the same things look different and different things look the same. So how are you going to tweak things where it's the same uh, locking for the offensive line, same throw for the quarterback, but it's different matchups, it's different personnel groupings, it's different formations, it's how, how are you going to window dress it, how are you going to make it look different where their eyes are like, ooh, this, what, what is this? We haven't seen this. And then they run a play that they've been running the whole, oh, geez, well, that's what it was all about. Uh, just make it too late. You know, you make a, a decision correctly too late, it's still a wrong decision. And that's what you're trying to get. You're trying to get that little bit of an advantage, you know, mentally uh, as you go into the biggest game of your life, for sure. Brian Callahan coached in the Super Bowl four years ago with the Rams. Or not Brian Callahan, Zach Taylor coached right. with the Rams. Brian Callahan has coached in the Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. How big of a deal do you think having a little bit Super Bowl coaching experience is going to help? I think it's a big deal. I do. I think, I think that uh, any, any experience that you can draw upon is, is going to be a big help. And uh, I, I think there's some interesting, you know, dynamics there. <laughs> Sean McVay and, uh, and Zach Taylor. I mean, Zach Taylor knows Sean McVay's mindset, thoughts, decision-making as a head coach. Sean McVay thinks he might know what Zach Taylor would think or whatever, but he only knows him as an assistant receiver coach and a quarterback coach. He doesn't know him in the role of a coordinator or a head coach. And now he's calling plays, and now he's a head coach. So I think the advantage kind of goes to Zach in that area. I really do. I think um, there's, there's a little bit of an edge there where he's been part of the meetings, the whole process, what's what's he thinking, why is he thinking it. And, and Sean hasn't seen Zach in that environment, and Zach has seen Sean in that environment. And then, you know, the other thing is, like you mentioned, Brian Callahan um, has been to a Super Bowl, but he, he's also coached Stafford. So he knows Stafford's strengths, weaknesses, things he likes, things he doesn't like. Any kind of intel like that in a game like this is, is big. I just think that Zach might have a little bit more intel on McVay as a, you know, from the head coaching vantage point, obviously. And Brian Callahan may be able to tell Lou Anarumo, you know what, in this situation, he really doesn't like this and, and, and that. Don't do this because he'll rip it up. He, he, he likes that kind of a look. He likes that kind of a matchup. I'm not saying you don't see it on tape, but I'm saying that you can um, embellish it and, and even a deeper dive into all that stuff because you have first-hand experience with those guys. And any little bit of intel that you think you're going to be able to gather is going to help you in the Super Bowl. Even if it's psychosomatic, you think, you know, man, that, that's an edge. That's going to help us. Ultimately, it could help you because psychologically, yeah, man, we're better prepared than they are. We know more than they know. Anything like that that you can get an edge you're looking for in the Super Bowl. So I've learned a valuable lesson in the last several days. Whenever an athlete is asked, how does something feel, some great moment in a game, some personal accomplishment, and they don't necessarily have a great answer, I am now sympathetic because for all the people who have asked me how this feels, I'm having a hard time articulating just how incredibly special 
this is, to have a chance to broadcast a Super Bowl. You've done it before. More importantly, you played in one. It's such a thrill. I'm really struggling to put it into the proper context. You know, the, the feeling that um, you have when you win an AFC championship game as a player is indescribable. I mean, it's like it's like no, no other feeling professionally. I mean, you know, marriage, birth of children, all that is huge in your, in your life, life experiences. But what, if you're in a profession, getting to the top of the mountain is like indescribable or as close to the top of the mountain going to the Super Bowl is getting close and then you have to just take that one final grab and you can't quite clutch it at the top and that I will say I just hope like hell they win this football game because I can honestly say the highest I've ever felt in my life the most adrenaline rush the biggest adrenaline rush I've ever gotten in my life is that morning of the Super Bowl and I thought oh it's too early uh, you know, I, I I wanted to go back to bed. I got such a big adrenaline surge in, in the locker room before the game. And I thought, oh, my gosh, man, I'm, I'm spent. Well, no. Here it comes again and again. It's like, oh, my God. It's just unbelievable. And then afterwards, when you don't win it, you talk about a, a crash, a depression. Oh, my gosh, man. It's like it's, it's the worst feeling in the world. So I hope those guys don't have to experience it because experience it as a player and then in the broadcast booth, uh, it's it's certainly not that, t- that kind of high and low. But the excitement you feel is pretty impressive, pretty incredible. And you're thinking, got here, might as well finish it, you know. Might as well might as well be the world champion. How about that? How about if this football team that was 2-14 and 14 two years ago and 6-25-1 and one over the last two years ends up the following year as world champion, the best in the world, Super Bowl 56 champion. What? That would be. <laughs> There's going to be books, movies. There's going to be rights all over the place about this one, boy. I mean, Hollywood can't script this bad boy. Who plays Dave Lapham in the movie? <laughs> uh, Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Who plays Dan Horn? Some bald guy, some bald loser. It won't be Bruce Willis. It'll be an ugly bald guy. <laughs> Oh, man. At least we'll buy tickets. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to go see it. It'd be great. If you have a good suggestion for who should play me in the Bengals movie, you can tweet it to me at Dan underscore Horde, unless the dude is hideous. Then, just keep it to yourself. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This year, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Up next, it's the first quarterback to take the Bengals to the Super Bowl, 1981 MVP Ken Anderson. He joined Lap and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show, and I started the conversation by asking what this Super Bowl appearance means to them. 40 years after they played in Super Bowl 16. Well, you know, to me, I think that sense of pride as a former player. Right. You know, when, and Dave, you know, you were there with me in the 70s and 80s when we were as good as any team in the National Football yeah, League. Yeah, really. You know, we only got to one Super Bowl, and we happened to have a juggernaut in our division. The, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Raiders were tough. 
the Dolphins were going undefeated. We had a lot of good football teams in the, the, the AFC in that era. And then, you know, you kind of get to the 90s, we go down, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, you listen, it's the Bungles. And then the, the national media just toasts us all the time. They, they can't do anything. They can't. Their ownership is cheap. They got no facilities. You know, and all of a sudden, here we are. And it's that sense of pride that I feel in the team that back to the, you know, the lofty status that we ought to have. Because we, you know, we had a great football tradition in Cincinnati, a winning football tradition. And now to see that coming back really makes me feel good. Right, right. Honestly, too, uh, you know, the guy, the guy who's taken the, the biggest beating is Mike Brown. There's no doubt about it. And uh, for an 86-year-old guy to experience what Mike Brown's experiencing this year and, uh, and, and have a, a chance to take another bite of the apple and maybe finish the apple mm-hmm. in, in terms of winning the Super Bowl, that would be incredible, too. To, to, I, I can only imagine, you know, what he's feeling and thinking. And, and it, it's, it's just we were talking about it off, off air before we uh, – actually on the podcast we were doing before we came on the air here. It, from a professional standpoint, it's – it's like the biggest thing that could ever happen to you, going to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. Now, you know, marriage, kids, all that, and your overall life are, are big moments. But this this kind of moment is, you know, something that – I mean, there are guys like we talked about. Takeo Spikes, 15 years in the league, five different teams, never went to a playoff game. Great player. Dick Mer- Buckus. Yeah, Dick Buckus. Merlin Olsen, 15 years, 14 Pro Bowls, never – Won, an, won a championship, never went to a Super Bowl, never won an NFL championship. I mean, you, 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 can't, you can't take this stuff for granted. There's no question about it. Everybody loves an underdog. I think people around the country are falling in love with yep. this team. Joe Burrow is so likable. I think most of America is going to be rooting for Cincinnati in this particular Super Bowl. And speaking of Joe, is there a company in the United States right now that's not getting in touch with his agent <laughs> saying, not. can we line this guy up to be one of our our spokespeople? Because he everything he does, mm-hmm. he does well, obviously, his, his play. But uh, just the way he carries himself and everything, if he wants some of that stuff, uh, boy, it's going to be at his fingertips. And, and that's you different know, than 81 also. No, you know, <laughs> and I guarantee you that's the, the, the farthest thing from Joe's mind mm-hmm. right now. Um, that'll yep. be stuff for the off season. I mean, this guy's focus, his preparation. You know, it was interesting hearing some of his talk. Were you nervous before the game? Well, you know, the night before I was a little anxious, but that's when I'm kind of going over all the scenarios that could happen. You know, his mental preparation. He said, "Hey, once I get to the stadium, I'm fine." You know, and, and I think that attitude really translates to the other guys on the team where. You know, where, where they're loose. And, and, and I really credit Zach in, in the preparation for the team. When the playoffs started, he said, you know, all the other, well, we got to turn our preparation up a notch. He said, we don't have to do that. You know, our preparation has been up a notch right. all year long. Right. The way that these guys work at practice. So that, that's, a, you know, a really a compliment to, to Zach and the coaching staff, you know, that the, the Bengals are in this situation as well. You know, there's a big similarity. Uh, and I don't know Joe Burrow, obviously, like, like I know you, but. You guys, the, you guys are both highly intelligent. I mean, overall, base intelligence plus football IQ. And I know how much you put into absorbing every bit of information you could 
and retaining it and be able to bring it back out when necessary, solving a problem defense was trying to make and give you and all that sort of thing. And he's like that. I mean, he's he can he can retain a bunch and and apply it perfectly when necessary and all that sort of thing. And that gives the whole team confidence when you have a guy doing that kind of thing. Imagine how good I could have been if I had an iPad to look at everything I needed to look <laughs> right. at. And instead of taking the Kansas 16-millimeter film home with right. my projector at home and showing it on the wall to kind of get ready for a game. Yep, I hear you. I hear you. It's, <laughs> the thing I, I appreciate about this guy being our guest for this game, the great Ken Anderson, played in the Super Bowl, broadcast the Super Bowl, Coached in a Super Bowl. Got a Super Bowl ring with the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching Ben Roethlisberger. So this guy has been to the Super Bowl in a bunch of different roles, you know. And uh, so how how different, I guess, the broadcasting part's a different world. I mean, that's not like playing and coaching. So playing and coaching, how different was it from a process standpoint for you getting ready for a Super Bowl? Well, you know, it, it's coaching was always a little bit more difficult for me than playing because you try to get your guys ready, but when the game comes, you got nothing that you can do about it. But out of your out of your control. But you yeah. know, but I remember you know going through that you know with the Steelers that you know we had our media day on Tuesday and then they left us alone for the rest of the week. When we were down in Tampa getting ready for this game, you know, all right, every day at lunch, all right, you got interviews you got to do. Here's more media stuff, and then you try to go back and practice. You know, so it just. There was so, so much more to take up the players' time in a Super Bowl, you know, nowadays than there was when we played, Dave. And so speaking of Super Bowl quarterbacks, Tom Brady officially announced his retirement this week. Seven Super Bowl rings for Crazy. the GOAT, which is just absolutely incredible. Crazy. It's nuts. Unbeknownst to me, Tom Brady does a podcast. It's called Let's Go. He does it with Jim Gray yep. and with Larry Fitzgerald. And this week... He had Joe Burrow on as his guest. I highly recommend listening to the whole thing. Again, it's the Let's Go podcast with Tom Brady. I'm going to play a little snippet of it tonight. Here's Tom Brady when asked for his opinion of Joe Burrow and then Joe Burrow's reaction. I think Joe's got some tools that I didn't quite have when I was his age. So super impressed by how he's kind of come into the league and um, went to Cincinnati, which has been a tough place to play over the years. And, you know, two years into his career after a really tough injury last year, showed a lot of mental and physical toughness coming back and having an incredible season. So, um, you know, I always love watching quarterbacks and certainly young quarterbacks because I feel like, you know, there's certain ways to play the game and and to to play the game at a high level uh, requires a huge commitment. And I think Joe, even from when I saw him at LSU, you know, he makes that commitment. So it's uh, it's really a great thing for me to see as as you know, someone who's played this game for a long time. So really happy for Joe and his team. Joe, when you hear those words from Tom, your reaction is? <laughs> well, no, I don't know. I don't know if I can be in a conversation with this guy yet, but you know, I'm going to work really hard to try, and I think we're off to a great start. I'm excited about, you know, the opportunity that we have. We worked really, really hard to to get here. Um, you know, we had a great off season. Our front office did a great job of, bringing in guys that not only fit what we needed on the field, but off the field as well in the locker room. And, you know, it's just been a, a whirlwind couple of weeks. Certainly not going to compare Joe Burrow's accomplishments to Tom Brady. We're a long way from that. But do you see qualities in Joe Burrow that make you think of Tom Brady? Yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, 
it's well documented watching Brady run his 40 time. And, <laughs> and, and I would say, you know, take nothing away from Joe, but he's probably not the most athletic quarterback in the NFL. Uh, he doesn't have the strongest arm of right. anybody in there. Right. But I think what really is similar to him and Brady is what's between their ears. And I think, you know, all the years looking at quarterbacks, you know, coaching quarterbacks, scouting quarterbacks, the toughest thing to figure out is what's between their ears, you know, and what's in their heart, their, their love of the game, what they're willing to do to be successful. So I think, you know, that's the similarity I see between, you know, Tom Brady and, and Joe Burrow. You know, it's funny, uh, you mentioned the love of the game, and uh, I asked, asked Zach last week, what was, what was the non-negotiable uh, characteristic when you guys were addressing rebuilding the football team in free agency and or the draft? What was that one characteristic that players had to have? And he said, they got to love the game. Because we both have had teammates that were unbelievable talents but they didn't really care about football. You know, it's like, eh, the Lord blessed me with all this talent, but I don't really care that much about football. And then if you have both, if you've got a guy that has, you know, great talent and then has the desire to be the best, you know, and really loves the game of football, then you have something special, right? I mean, that's what it's oh, all about. You know, no, I mean, it goes back to the, the Ring of Honor game and knowing he's going to get blitzed against Baltimore in a critical place to go down and kick a field goal to win the game and, well, they're in a formation. We don't want to go to the wide receiver screen, but it's Uzama out there. We right. call it anyway, and he does it. And, and then to hear Zach or other people talk about it on Fridays, they'll take the receivers, line them up in different formations, and switch them around, call the concept that they're doing so everybody has a feel for what they do if they do go to an audible. And, you know, that going all the way back to Paul Brown, I remember when uh, learning, uh, learning the offense, Paul Brown was like, all right, well, we're going to get uh, – you have to – Tiger would give us tests. You guys obviously had tests as well. But he said, I'm going I'm to give you two grades. I'm going to give you a grade in the upper left-hand corner on your assignments, upper right-hand corner on the whole team assignments. So Paul Brown was like, I want you to know the whole thing. I don't want you to be tunnel vision on, okay, well, you're going to block the defensive tackle. and you don't, or, or if you pull, he wanted you to know, is the center reaching, tackle blocking down, you know, is, is the back filling? Who's got the responsibility you just vacated and, and why he wanted he wanted you to understand the whole big picture right and and that's that's key that if the whole team if if joe burrow's the only guy like you talk about kenny he makes that audible and cj looks at me like huh what are you talking about the whole team has to understand what the hell is going on there well no and i, I think the other thing that joe does is hold guys accountable yep. you know if you're not willing to put the time the effort work as hard as i am we don't want you here, you know. So I think everybody's got that attitude that I will take whatever time, work as hard as I have to, to make this thing go, and uh, and it's working. And, and I think he sets such a good example that way. He's the first guy in, the last one to leave. So other players are saying, geez, am I doing enough? Look at Joe's doing. Look at, look at all the time Joe's putting into this. Look at the dedication Joe has to this. Maybe I better pick it up a notch or two. And that just raises the whole boat, right? I mean, that's the whole deal. That's what it's all about. So you guys both played in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady played in 10 and won <laughs> 7. Here is his Super Bowl advice for Joe Burrow. When you get to the game, you're going to realize it's just that. It's exactly what you've done all season long. The ball's going to get kicked off, and it's going to feel like a football game. Getting to that point, it'll feel quite a bit different than any game, but you just realize that when you get to that moment, um, it's a really exciting time for everyone. And 
I'm sure it's really exciting for your family and your friends and it should be because it's we've all dreamed about getting to that moment. So um, I'm just happy for you and your team. You know, you guys have overcome a lot as it should be and you've earned it. And, uh, you know, football is about earning it every single day, every week. And, you know, when you get to the postseason, there's no margin of error. And you guys went into a really tough place of playing in Kansas City and got the job done. And uh, I know that's a great feeling. It's probably one of the great feelings you'll ever feel in the locker room after a game. Um, but there's only one feeling that's better is if you go take care of the one two weeks from now. So was it your experience that once they kicked it off, it felt like a normal game? Uh, but it had to be the kickoff. You know, you try to tell yourself it's a, just another game. And, and we're in Pontiac, and I'm standing out there. And, gosh, you know, it's time for the National Anthem. And Diana Ross was singing the National Anthem. She doesn't come to right. Cincinnati. This, this may be a pretty big <laughs> it's deal. It's a little different. This may be a little bit <laughs> big deal right here. No, but, you know, you, you try to get, you get yourself to that point. Yeah. I, I remember it kind of hit me. We, the offense was fortunate enough to be introduced, you know. And I remember running down the, you know, the tunnel of people, and there's the TV cameras right there with the lens, and I remember thinking, there's a lot of people watching this thing. Hope I don't screw anything up. Hope I play good. You know, it's like all of a sudden I think the, the magnitude of it really does start to hit you. But like he said, once the ball's kicked off, once you take that first hit, it's just like, man, this is just like high school, college, whatever. I mean, it's football, football's football. But, you know, the thing obviously that bugs me, and I know it bugs Kenny, in the biggest game, we uncharacteristically self-destructed. We made too many mistakes, you know, that we weren't making during the course of the season, and, and it uh, it cost us. You know, we uh, we put ourselves on the schedule, and the 49ers were a good football team. They didn't need the help, and we gave them help. And that, to me, that was the unfortunate thing. I'd like to, you know, be able to play them again and, and, uh, and not make those mistakes and see how it would turn out, you know. Did it take you a while to watch that game? Yeah. You know, man, I, got, I was there. You know, and I remember the, the disappointment of it that, you know, I was leaving the next morning to go to the Pro Bowl. And and I went into the team doctor. I said, hey, find something wrong with me. I, I don't want to go. <laughs> and he said. Hawaii? He, he said, Kenny says, you know, you didn't get hurt in the game. They're going to know that. The league is going to send you to L.A., have another doctor look at you. You're going to have to go over there anyway. But just it was just the disappointment of it. Yeah. Although I, I will say one of the, the things that kind of helped me get through it, you know, my son, Matt, uh, I think I was the first guy to carry, yeah, right. carry him off the field. And we, we, go, into the, magic. we go into the locker room, and, and I'm really disappointed. He's sitting in the locker, and, you know, the coaches really didn't talk to you. And, and finally I turned to him and said, well, Matt, what would you think? He said, Dad, they had the best halftime show I've ever seen. <laughs> well, I guess it wasn't all that bad a day. <laughs> Here. Here's my experience. I get back to the uh, the hotel and uh, tucking my son in, son Dave, you know, and, and uh, like Matt, you know, he had an understanding. He was old enough to know, hey, geez, you guys played well or you didn't, you know. So I'm tucking him in, and we're losing 20 to nothing at the half in that football game because of the mistakes. So I'm like, all right, Dave. You know, and I, and I mean, I barely was able to talk anyway, and I look, I'm like, hey, Dave, good night, man. I'll catch you in the morning. Tuck him in. He goes, Dad. I said, yes, sir, son. Why'd you guys stink so bad in the first half? I wanted to take the pillow and go, whoosh, and just, it's like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, Dave, I can't talk about it right now. I probably won't be able to talk about it for a while. But that's a darn good question, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. On the mouths of babes. Mouths of babes, no yeah. doubt. 
For what it's worth, Ken Anderson played extremely well in Super Bowl 16, completing 74% of his passes for 300 yards with two touchdowns and a passer rating of 95.2. He also ran for a TD. Another reason why Ken Anderson should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. Visit onlocationexp.com for exclusive access to the biggest events, including next week's Super Bowl. Now time for our Know the Foe segment with Joe Reedy from the Associated Press in Los Angeles. If the name sounds familiar, Joe used to cover the Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer. So before we got to the Rams, I asked for his reaction to Cincinnati making it to the Super Bowl. I'm pleasantly surprised, Dan. I'm, I'm happy, though, for the city, happy for the organization. And I know a lot of people throughout the years, you know, was happy that they broke the uh, long losing streak and then got the first road playoff win. And, you know, the way they uh, took care of business in the second half against Kansas City was kind of similar to that Week 17 game. So... You look at the turnaround that Zach did, and I don't know if Lap agrees or not, but, you know, this team making a Super Bowl kind of mirrors the 81 and 88 um, Bengals Super Bowl teams, and nobody expected a lot, and now uh, here they are playing in the big game. Only difference is they aren't playing the 49ers this time. Yeah, right. That's right, Joe. Hey, good to hear your voice. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The, the big difference, this team was the number four seed, and those 81 and 88 teams um, were the number one seed and didn't have to go on the road. And the Bengals had to go on the road twice, and they won both of them. And the first uh, road playoff win in franchise history, nobody would be able to tie that uh, accomplishment. So this, this team is, is pretty interesting in that regard. The, the thing that's the common denominator between the Rams and the, and the Bengals, in the last 11 games, including the playoffs, they're both 8-3. and three. And the Rams are 8-1, and one, actually, in their last nine. The Bengals don't have that kind of a record in their last nine games of the regular season and postseason. But both teams are playing their best football at the most opportune time. You know, they get hot at the right time. What, what was the key for the Rams to get as hot as they did down the stretch? I think they, they had some injury problems, Dave, some that, somewhere around November, I think. You know, both teams have gotten on nice win streaks, but I think the difference between the Bengals and the Rams is the Bengals didn't have that three, three-game losing streak. It seemed like they'd have bad games, but then immediately pop right back up after having the bad games. The Rams really had that bad string there in November when everybody was wondering whether they'd rebound. And let's face it, at one time, there were two games behind Arizona and NFC West. So the fact that they were able to storm back, win the division, and get the uh, losing streak behind them was big. I think the defense rounded into form a little bit better, and I think this offense, it's been missing a run game for most of the season. Cam Akers had an Achilles injury even before training camp started. He's come back now and played during the postseason, but it was just a very inconsistent offense, but I think the story with the Rams offense has besides Stafford has been Cooper cup, but I think Odell Beckham Jr. Coming in Von Miller's had a nice four or five games. It's just all the parts finally got together at the right time. And I think the, the key too with the Rams is that this is the healthiest that they've uh, been. 
We're chatting with Joe Reedy, who covers L.A. sports for the Associated Press. Joe, I think a lot of people look at Bengals' offensive line versus Rams' defensive line is the most significant matchup going into this Super Bowl. Do you agree? I would agree. I think if if Bengals fans have a saving grace, though, I think with as bad as that line performed against uh, Tennessee, it played very well against Kansas City. And against San Francisco, all of us thought that the Rams would would pressure and uh, go after Jimmy Garoppolo. They kind of they kind of stood back most of the time. They really didn't get pressure on Garoppolo until those last two drives of the game including the interception that uh, clinched the game for him. So it'll be interesting to see how the, if the Rams kind of do like they did against the Niners where they drop back in coverage a lot and really don't, don't bring a lot of pressure or, you know, knowing this offensive line, do they decide to turn the pressure up a little bit? But Aaron Donald will be, uh, will be more than psyched and ready in this game because he still blames himself for losing that Super Bowl against New England three years ago, including on the uh, big play to Gronkowski where they basically shot the gap on him. And he's, he's thought about that play for three long years. He talked about that a lot during uh, last, year, last week's game, preparing against uh, San Francisco to try to get back here. The turnovers are always big, and the bigger the game, the bigger turnovers are. The Bengals, seven takeaways, two giveaways in the postseason. They're plus five, and the Rams are plus two. Interesting, the Rams Rams only lost five fumbles during the regular season amongst the fewest in the league. They fumbled it four times and lost all of them in three playoff games. Why the ball security issues in the playoffs, do you think? They've been playing some physical defenses. Um, they had a bad turnover against the Niners that uh, – almost hurt them, but I think that ball security, like you said, is an issue. I think they're also counting on the run game a little bit more. I think Cam Akers had one of those lost fumbles. He's still, you know, trying to get back into in a playing shape for lack of a better term. I think he's averaging less than three yards a carry. So when they when they fumble, it's usually not those ones that pop right back up into into your hands. It's usually the ones that uh go forward that uh, opponents are lucky to get. Will Jalen Ramsey follow Jamar Chase without help, leaving everybody else, secondary and linebackers, to cover all of the Bengals' other weapons? I think so. I think, And I also think Jalen, Jalen relishes the opportunity to, um, to have a matchup like this. Um, if I'm not wrong, the last time Ramsey – Face the Bengals was Jacksonville with the uh, yeah. with the infamous incident with him and a- AJ, yeah. or did yeah. they yeah. or did they play after that? No, I think that's it. Okay, yeah, because they because the 2018 game, Jalen was still with the uh, was still with the Jaguars, so he he wasn't here. But I think they, I think these are the type of matchups that Jalen wants and and likes to bring his way. He played a good game last week especially uh, after the uh, Tampa Bay game where the uh, long touchdown pass that he, that he now likes to boast was uh, Tom Brady's final touchdown pass of his career. But that was one of the few times that I think Jalen has gotten severely beaten coverage. And I, and I think this is one of those games that uh, he, de- he, definitely wants to, uh, he definitely wants to take on a receiver one-on-one. 
So the Bengals are kind of running a little bit of a, a rotation at the right guard position by series here. What have you heard? I know it's early, but is Aaron Donald, have you noticed him drooling or anything like that <laughs> as he anticipates lining up against the Bengals' interior linemen? I mean, Aaron Donald is such a, such a different breed, man. What, what's that guy like? What's, what's, what's he like just as a, as a person in the locker room, you know, in the community? What's he like? Very good in the community. He's, he's kind of been a quiet guy in the locker room, but as Aaron noted last week, Vaughn Miller coming here has actually gotten him out of the shell. Vaughn has taken it upon himself as maybe one of those veteran leaders that he's been telling Aaron, hey, people, your teammates want to hear from you. They want to know what you're thinking. They want to... They, it's not it's not the lead by example anymore if you've got something to say say it and if you got to get on guys get on them and I think Aaron was very vocal last week that was one thing that you heard Jalen Ramsey and a bunch of players say that Aaron was going around at a different position groups just reiterating the goals for the game what they wanted and because as Aaron has said, and I think it was a quote that went around everywhere, he's like, I've accomplished everything. The only thing that I don't have on my resume right now is a Super Bowl title. And that's been driving them. And, you know, with the Rams kind of taking things year by year, they don't have a draft pick in the first three rounds next year. Wow, and I kind of crazy. joked that maybe the last, next time they'll have a first-round draft pick is 2030 or 2031. <laughs> this is this is a it's almost a year-to-year window with them. It's not looking two or three years down the line. It's what can you do, it's what can you do right now? You, which you got to give the Rams and Les Mead and Sean McVay kudos for the win now and be aggressive. But I think at one time or another, it's going to catch up with you, whether it's you know two years down the line or three years down the line. This window and their time is definitely now. A couple more questions for our friend Joe Reedy from the Associated Press in Los Angeles. Has Sean McVay articulated any lessons he feels like he learned from the Super Bowl loss to Bill Belichick and the Patriots? Yeah, and I think there was a definite hangover with this team in 2019, and I think you saw for 2019 and half of 2020 that Bill Belichick was still firmly in the Los Angeles Rams' head to where there was just some game planning that Sean did that, and some stuff with Jared Goff that you were wondering what was going on there, and it took him a long time. And I, and I think the one thing that, that Whit kind of uh, stressed on Monday because, as he said, it's, it's not too often you're, you're older than your head coach and older by a lot, I might add, but uh, that uh, Sean has matured. It takes, it, it takes head coaches a long time to learn who they are and how comfortable they are. And Sean experienced a, Sean experienced a lot of success early and got in, and, and really didn't get adversity until I'd say the past couple of years. And I think he's calmed down a little bit. He's still got that fire on the sidelines where we've wondered a couple of times why he didn't get 15 yard penalties for going to chest bump one of his guys in the end zone after a touchdown. <laughs> but I think the adversity and also, you know, 
maybe easing off and practice and some stuff has definitely helped. And I, and I also think too, having Matthew Stafford, having a veteran quarterback where they're on the same wavelength and, and can agree to things has, uh, has definitely helped him in that approach too, where, you know, you look at Zach Taylor, the first couple of years, ton of adversity. And now in the third year, everything's clicking for Sean. It was opposite first couple of years, everything came quickly and it wasn't until 2019 when they didn't make the playoffs that uh, everybody was wondering if the uh, boy genius uh, or it weren't off a little bit. Final question, Joe, and thanks for carving time. We really appreciate you and your insight and perspective. Mine's about Andrew Whitworth. Witt's 40 years old, still playing efficient, effective football. Does he retire after this year like Tom Brady? Does he join Tom Brady in the in the 40 and over crowd and call it a call it a career, or do you think Witt continues to play? I will go back to something lap that McVeigh kind of said last week, and 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 I'd agree with him. When Witt signed that three-year contract here, I didn't think he would make it through the f- full three years. In fact, oh. his wife Melissa thought he'd be done after the second year. But I do think. I do think this is this is the this is the final year for him. I think that he's always been a guy that you know would like to go out on his own terms and you know on his own two feet instead of you know like Joe Thomas went out with injuries and stuff and right. I think for everything that he has accomplished what he's done with both franchises and especially if he could get NFL man of the year this year, he's been up for it so many times that yeah. it would be, it would be great for him to get that. But no matter the team he was facing in the Super Bowl, I think that, I think that this is his final year and let's face it, a Brady Roethlisberger and uh, Whitworth class in five years in Canton, if he does retire, will be a, uh, will be a uh, heck of a ceremony because I certainly believe with these years and what he's accomplished, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Our thanks to Joe Reedy and for much more on Sunday's game, join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show Friday afternoon from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530 or on the iHeartMedia app by searching for ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game, and by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde. Thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.